But right now, I'd like to go ahead and just call your attention to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 8. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8, please. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is to come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. All they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Last week we looked at verse 19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart and we spoke about Mary and really how she had reflected upon all of these wonderful things that went on. But I want you to just take note here and the message today is going to be about the shepherds. The shepherds received this particular message from the angels, ultimately from God. And here they come and view and see the baby. And then the Bible tells us that they went abroad and shared the good news that they had been given. So I want to ask this question, really the title of the message here today. Why did God speak to the shepherds? And so we'll try to answer that in the next few moments together. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful time that we have to be gathered together. I just ask, Lord, that our hearts would be still. I'm sure we're contemplating about some of the activities of today and tomorrow and maybe this week. But, Lord, just cause us to listen, not just to the words of a preacher, but may we listen to the speaking of the Holy Spirit to our hearts. And I just thank you again for all that you will accomplish in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every time I read this passage of Scripture, I just walk away with this sense of, I love Christmas. I really do. I love Christmas. I love everything about it. And it's a pretty amazing to me how across the world, even in countries that you don't even think Christmas is being celebrated, it's being celebrated. There's decorations everywhere, flashing lights. There's gift giving. There's all sorts of things that are happening and it seems that the celebrations of Christmas are getting bigger and bigger every year. But in the midst of all the celebrations worldwide, how amazing it is that the greatest aspect of Christmas is left out, and that is Jesus Christ. The world today celebrates a Christmas without Christ. Millions of people will be partying. They'll enjoy all the festivities that Christmas brings. And they'll spend a lot of money to give those gifts and have those parties. 
but they forget the most valuable part of what we're to hear today about, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, some have often asked, and I'd like to just address this for just a moment. I hear this every year. Should we really celebrate Christmas? Some have gone back and have said, well, you know, this is part of, of some type of uh, worship of a, of, a, of a particular God that was established. I want to just tell you something. If you search your history and go back through from the earliest days, we find that Christians began to set a t- aside a time to worship the Lord. Now, some have argued of, well, I don't think it's December 25th. Okay. If you want to pick February, go ahead. If you want to pick March, go ahead. If you want to say it's in September, go ahead. But I want to just tell you something. Whatever day that you pick, and it's been decided for many, many years, December 25th, let's celebrate together the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and why He came. And how important it is for us to recognize the value of being able to gather together. Well, let me do something with you here. Let's just transport transport ourselves back in time to this very first celebration here, the time when Jesus was born. Now think with me for just a moment as we've read this passage of Scripture and you compare it with the book of Matthew. Think with me of all the people that are there at this setting. Or maybe if you can't put your imagination together, think back of that little manger scene maybe you have set up right in your fireplace or wherever it is. Here we have Mary. Mary is the one that was given the news that she was pregnant. There's Joseph standing beside her. Joseph at this time had not yet known Mary. And he was told that she was pregnant. And he had to go through all this scenario of why is she pregnant? How did she get pregnant? What's going on here? And there's the wise men that show up. And each of them brings some very pertinent gifts to the Lord. And they are gifts that are are reminiscent of what you and I ought to bring unto the Lord with our lives. But out of all people that are there, Mary, Joseph, maybe some of the other people of Bethlehem, there are these people that are there known as shepherds. Shepherds. Most of us probably have been to some church play or Christian school play possibly where we've seen the enactment of that very first Christmas. Maybe you've seen Joseph dressed up, you know, one of the little children, and Mary. And then they find some newborn baby, maybe, that's been born just a few months ago. And they allow Mary to go ahead and hold that little one there and set up that little scene. But I'll bet you, like me, have thought that some of the most wonderful people that are up on the stage of these children are probably those that are dressed as shepherds. You know, maybe if the school or the church didn't have a lot of money, it probably they got some bed sheet at home and wrapped it around the kid, you know. And then just took it and put it all on his head and took a little belt and just wrapped it on there. And there are these little shepherds. I don't know how many there are. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what a beautiful sight to be able to see in a play. But I want to tell you something. As wonderful as it is to see in a play and to wonder at these little shepherds that are acting this out. I want to tell you something. In the first century, shepherds weren't all that adorable. The shepherds really lived at the bottom of the totem pole in the New Testament world. They lived outdoors and were uh, just subject to the elements of the weather outside. They spent most of their time with animals and probably if they did come into town, they smelled like the animals that they were with. 
It was said that shepherds, even beyond just how they looked or how they smelled, that they were considered to be questionable characters, and they were not allowed to actually give witness in a court of law because it was considered that their truthfulness or honesty was in doubt. Now, some here today who know the Bible well may actually recall that shepherding wasn't always that way. In fact, some of the Bible's greatest Old Testament characters were shepherds. Let me just name a few. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. And then who can't forget a man by the name of David? So what happened over all these years that shepherds who were revered and, and respected and, and, and great people all of a sudden came to fall down to the bottom of the social ladder? Well, do you remember a time when Israel actually was brought into Egypt? It was Joseph who first went. He was sold by his brothers. That was of God. God put all that together. And after a period of time, Joseph got all of his family, Jacob, his father, and all of his brothers and their family, 70 of them total that the Bible records, and they found themselves in Egypt. And do you remember Joseph telling his brothers, he said, now look, don't tell them here that you're shepherds. You see, the Egyptians were mostly farmers, and therefore they didn't really care for shepherds because shepherds represented those who cared for the animals that would come in and eat all the crops up. And therefore, they didn't really like the shepherds and they despised shepherds. And therefore, over the course of the 400 years that Israel was in Egypt, shepherding kind of fell by the wayside. But then we come back into the land of Israel, that promised land, and shepherding now becomes a part of some of the tribes who settle in a particular area and they begin to shepherd and it becomes very important because now the worship of Israel is all revolved around the slaying of innocent sheep and therefore shepherds have a very notable position. In fact, at that particular time coming up, the very second king of Israel is risen to a place of honor here as a king because he had first been a shepherd. And wow, every Israelite thinks to themselves, here's a shepherd boy now becoming a king. Pretty amazing. But then all of a sudden shepherding falls off the wayside again. Read through the prophets and you'll notice here in some of the prophets that uh, sheep herders really uh, symbolize judgment and social desolation. In fact, one of the prophets by the name of Amos had been a former shepherd, now turned a preacher, and he shows the correlation here. He said, look, I had been a lowly shepherd at one time, but here I am now giving the very word of God. Now, why do I share all this today about shepherds? Not just to necessarily give you history, but I want to tell you something here today. I want you to notice how they were looked down upon. In this day here of social and religious arrogance, class prejudice, it's in this particular time that Jesus steps forth. How surprising and significant it is that the God who created everything and the God who orchestrated all this did not give that initial message to the scribes and Pharisees. 
Neither did he give it to the people who are of a nobility, of an upper class. No, I want to tell you something. The Lord gave that message to those people whom everybody considered as outcast. Whom everybody had no consideration of at all. And that was to the lowly, unpretentious shepherds. They were the ones that heard first that joyous message of the sending forth the Messiah. Wow. What an insult to the religious leaders. What an insult to the kings and those of nobility that they didn't receive that first invitation of the coming of the Messiah. So I want to tell you something. You and I today need to look at this nativity scene afresh and anew and smile at those shepherds because there's a striking irony here. That if God is going to speak to those whom we consider lowly, I want to tell you something, God can speak to us. God can share His Word with anybody and desires to do that. So let's just take a few moments and note here why God decided to speak to the shepherds. First of all, I want you to note something. Here's an interesting aspect. Number one, these men had time. Now, If you went back to the universities, maybe all around Jerusalem, probably if you looked at their sheets that would show all the different majors, I don't think shepherding would probably be at the top of the list. It wasn't one of those professions that everybody said, man, I am aspiring to be a shepherd someday. It wasn't one of those professions. But I want to tell you something. It was an undesirable profession, and it probably was such a boring job. What's the first verse I read there in verse number 8? When the angels came to the shepherds, it says that they were abiding by their flock at what time? They were there at night. A shepherd's job was a 24-7 job. A shepherd spent time outside regularly. Snow, rain, you name it, that shepherd's out there. Daytime, nighttime, wintertime, summertime, whatever it is, those shepherds are out there and they got a lot of time on their hands. In fact, I know they have a lot of time on their hands because really it seems to be indicated in the scriptures that when David, who was a young shepherd boy, was out there tending the sheep, do you know where he learned to play the harp? Do you know where David wrote some of the Psalms that we so beautifully read here in our scriptures? Do you know some of the things that David learned, such as perfecting the slingshot? I want to tell you something. David learned a lot of those things in the boring time of tending sheep. And so here's David, or here's these shepherds actually, who are out there at night tending the sheep and the angels appear to them. These are people that have time on their hands. And with the time on their hands, I believe that they are doing something very valuable. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm kind of putting my imagination here that these shepherds are getting a good understanding here that there's a Messiah coming. They had time. Therefore, they're searching and they're learning what they need to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very interesting here. I have a book in my office. It's called uh, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. It's written actually by a man by the name of Alfred Edersheim. He was actually a Jewish convert, convert to Christianity. And he was a preacher in the 19th century. 
And he said these things in his book when he talked about shepherds and these particular shepherds who are tending their sheep outside of Bethlehem. Listen to this. He said there was a place just outside Bethlehem called Migdal Eder, which means the tower of the flock. And according to Edersheim, this tower was not the watchtower for the ordinary flocks which pastured on the barren sheep ground beyond Bethlehem, but lay close to the town on the road to Jerusalem. The flocks which pastured there were destined for temple sacrifices. Therefore, I want you to consider this. The shepherds who watched over These sheep and these lambs knew that they would one day end up being sacrificed. That is, these sheep would be sacrificed here for the sins of Israel. And it must have reminded them of this fact that we're sinners. And it must have reminded them the fact and caused them, because they had time, to search through the Scriptures that there would be one who would come someday who would be the Lamb of God to pay for the sins of the whole world. And I have to believe that these shepherds, with this time on their hands, are searching through. They're not just any shepherds, but they're tending sheep at this particular area where people are going to buy them for the sacrifices that are done to atone for the sins of Israel. And it causes them to think here. And I believe that God had these angels appear to these shepherds because they're people that are learning much about God. But I want to say this, that they are also seeking God. Notice here, the second thing about why God spoke to these shepherds is, I believe they wanted to know. Notice what verse number 15 tells us. That when the angels left, they wanted to go and see this for themselves. They didn't receive this message from the angels and simply dismiss it. They didn't just ignore it. But these shepherds were seekers and wanted to know the truth. Now you say, preacher, how do you know that they wanted to know the truth? Well, I want to just say this to you. That if you're going to be a person who is going to have a life-changing, life-altering thing, it's going to be because... You are seeking after God. If God's going to do anything in your life, you're going to have a life-changing encounter with the very living God. It's going to be because you are seeking Him. Listen to this in Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts and let Him return unto the Lord and He will have mercy upon Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. Now I want to say to you here today and I want to be as kind as possible. There are some that are here today that are just here out of sheer duty. You're here because your wife or your husband dragged you today. You're here because you just feel it's imperative. I got to be here and somebody expects me. My mom always expected me to be in church. All right, I get that. But I want to tell you something. You will not have a life-changing encounter with God unless you personally start looking for Him and seeking Him. Seek the Lord while He may be found. 
Jeremiah 29, verse number 13, God says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search me with all of your heart. Did we not study here earlier this year in the Beatitudes? We went through the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6, it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I tell you, we read here in Luke chapter 2 about this wonderful message that is given to the shepherds. Why do they receive this message? Well, I believe that they had time and they were learning some of the things here that was going on and they understood something was special was going to be happening, but they were also people who were seeking for God and therefore when that message came along, they went after and said, we've got to find this. But notice number three, why did God use and speak to the shepherds? Because I want you to notice here, that they saw it. Point number three, they saw it. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, and when they, that is, they got to this particular scene, when they had seen it. Now, it's very interesting to note here, and if you're here today and you're using a King James Version of the Bible, this is our standard version that we use here at Calvary Baptist Church, I want you to note something here. The word it is italicized. Now, when the King James translators actually translated the scriptures here uh, and they did this version, any time they wanted to maybe complete a sentence, if there was a word that was not found in the original, they would place it in there to give a good sense maybe of the English reading, but they would do it in such a way by italicizing it. So really, the essence of the passage could be this, and when they had seen, but the King James translators knew that there had to be something they saw, so they put the word in in it. Now, many of the modern translations today simply put him, that is, when the shepherds came, they saw the child. But I want to say to you here today that I don't think it was just a child, although The child, Jesus, was of utmost importance. I believe that as the shepherds, with that wonderful message that was given to them, with everything that was told to them about the Messiah being born, and they saw not only the baby lying there in a manger, but here they are in Bethlehem. Being seekers of the truth, they knew that 1,000 years beforehand that it was told to them that the Christ child would be born in this particular city. Here they are with Mary, the one who's a virgin giving birth, who gave birth to this child. There they are with Joseph. There they are with all these people, the wise men that are there. And I believe that they didn't just see the baby, but they saw God's plan unfolding. Can I say to you today that Christmas is more than just a simple little manger scene? Christmas is more than just the wise men and the shepherds and all the wonderful characters that we talk about at this time of year. I want to tell you something. It is about the whole reason of why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just to simply be adored as a baby. Jesus came with the sole purpose of dying on the cross for your sins and my sins. And I believe the shepherds, they were people who saw God's plan unfolding. Why did God speak to the shepherds? They were people that had time. 
They were people who were seeking after God. They were people who really uh, uh, searched out. They wanted to know and they saw his plan unfold. But lastly, I want you to notice this. And according to verse number 17, they told others. Look at how expressive these words are in verse 17. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying. Now, these shepherds, we don't read them about going on a book tour, telling all their experiences. They didn't all of a sudden get raised to some type of notoriety. But I tell you what they did do when they left. They took what they had learned and what they had seen, and they told everybody that they could. Could I ask you a question if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Are you telling everybody you can? Are you spreading that message abroad, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe that the message of the angels, the sight of the Christ child in that manger, caused them to be vibrant witnesses wherever they went. And this is the way you and I need to be. If you've had an experience with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. It's changed your life. But if you're here today and you, you just are, are, are the same old person that you've been and you can live any way that you want to live, then maybe you haven't had that same experience. But I want to tell you, when the shepherds who received that message from God and they went and saw and that plan was unfolded, they could not help but share that message to others. And they went and they told it abroad. You and I need to be giving the message of salvation, the good news out to everybody that we can. Now, I think today that the shepherds are wonderful examples of what you and I need to be today. They're seekers of God who desired to know more of His plan for the ages, and they went about telling that story to everybody they could. And I hope that you can see today that there is something very significant and something very powerful about the inclusion of the shepherds in this particular story. The gospel writer Luke is reminding us by mentioning the shepherds that the kingdom of God isn't just for those who are special. It's not for those who are uh, have attained to a certain thing. It's not for the insiders but it's for everybody. It's for the outsiders like the shepherds, like the poor class where Mary and Joseph came from. Reminds me that God's kingdom that he's establishing is not made up of the noble and the wise people, but those who may think that they don't have any business at all in near God. That's the beauty of why God came and the name that is given to him is of Emmanuel. God with us. God with you, God with us. He's simply with every single person who will place their faith in Him. But I believe that the presence really of this whole scene, this story, tells us really about the type of Messiah who came. He would come, yes, to be a king, a savior, that lion of Judah that we read of in the book of Revelation. But Jesus came to be a shepherd. 
Now, though at this time the vocation of a shepherd was not viewed with great respect, I want to tell you something, that there is something very special as you read through the Bible and it talks about leadership. Often, good leaders are equated to be like shepherds. Think with me for just a moment. God refers to Himself as Israel's shepherd. In that famous psalm that often is read, Psalm 23, what does David say? The Lord is my shepherd. You look at Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it warned about bad shepherds, leaders who would exploit people rather than lead them. I want to tell you something, if you're going to be a leader today and those that are pastoring that A good leader is like a shepherd who doesn't drive the people, but leads them. And that's what Jesus does. The beauty of this Christmas season is Jesus Christ, who is that great shepherd, comes to lead you. And with the comfort that he can, will pick you up like a good shepherd will when a sheep has been hurt and he takes them in his arms and he might pick out all the burrs and some of the problems that are there and care and tend for that little sheep. That's what a shepherd does. That's what Jesus does. Today, you may be here and on the outside you're happy and go. everything is just hunky-dory because of all the glitter and the lights and the celebrations and everything that Christmas brings along. But I want to tell you that it's possible that you're here today and you've got hurt in your heart. There's been a hurt in your family. There's been a, a hurt in your business. There's been a hurt in your neighborhood. Something has really bothered you and there's a pain and a discouragement that is there can i say jesus christ as that great shepherd he's the one that you can go to he's the one that will lead you through that herd that's the beauty of christmas now is that jesus christ as that great shepherd will guide you through that valley of the shadow of death but today i want to just remind you here That I believe that the announcement of the coming of Jesus, that wonderful shepherd, there's something very important to note. The message that was given to these first shepherds. Look back with me, if you will, for just a moment as I just highlight some of these things. The Bible tells us in verse number 11, what was the message? For unto you. He's speaking to the shepherds. He didn't just say to the king and to all those of nobility. No, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Wow. A Savior's born. Now these shepherds who had the time and probably had studied out knew very well that first sin in the Bible. Remember Adam and Eve? first great story there in the Bible where Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan and they commit a sin and therefore that sin sends them into judgment. It is a judgment of separation from God, but God makes a way possible for them to be forgiven. But he lets them know because you've committed this sin, sin's going to pass upon every generation. And so therefore every child of Adam all the way to us, all of us are sinners 
But all the way back at that first sin, you know what God did? God also made a promise that he would bring a Messiah. And so I think when the shepherds heard these words, they thought to themselves, the promise that God made 4,000 years ago has now been fulfilled. God's made this promise. Unto you a Savior is born. Look at this. A Savior is born in the city of David. They recalled also another prophecy of where Jesus would be born. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. He'd be born in Bethlehem. So I can imagine the shepherds getting excited hearing this message of the promise being fulfilled of where Jesus would be born, that the Messiah would come. But I want you to know something else, that this is not just any ordinary Savior. We're not just picking somebody out of the hat. We're not just calling somebody out that we think is good looking and somebody that we think might be able to help us. No, this Savior is Christ the Lord. Think with me. It's Jesus Christ. You say, who is Jesus? Look through the gospel records in the next couple of days. Read the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Notice how Jesus lived every moment of every day on this earth in a human body and did not commit one sin. You say, really? Absolutely. Let me tell you, if you had a chance right now to ask Pilate if Jesus was a sinner, he'd say emphatically, no, he's not a sinner. He knew on that day when Jesus was before him, he had a dream come to him, or actually his wife did. And she told him, she said, don't do anything about that man to crucify him. He's innocent. Huh. Ask that thief on the cross. Those two men that died, one on each side of Jesus Christ, they knew why they were dying on the cross. In fact, while the one's railing on Jesus, the other one says, Look, don't do that. This man has done nothing amiss. We have done everything wrong, but this man has done nothing wrong. Ask one of the soldiers that were there. When that earthquake had taken place and when Jesus had finally given up the ghost, this man said that this was someone special. I'm paraphrasing here. What a wonderful thing to know that the Lord Jesus who lived on this earth lived a sinless life. Therefore, when he died on the cross, he could die for your sins and he did die for your sins. Because go ask somebody who you think is very religious, would you pay for my sins? Well, let me ask you a question. How will they pay for your sins when they cannot pay for their own sins? Go pray before somebody. Go confess before somebody. Go share your burdens before somebody and say, can you help me overcome this? And if the, if the person before you was honest, they'd have to say, no, I cannot help you. But Jesus came to help us. That's why he's the Savior of the world. That's why he came. The whole reason Jesus came and was born, why we celebrate Christmas, is to bring us to another holiday known as Easter. To be able to know that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, he's come. Notice here in these verses, verse number 14, I love these words. The heavenly host is singing and praising God and they're saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That is the good news 
How many would agree with me there's a lot of bad news today? Just turn on the news for a moment. There's bad news all over. You pick up a phone, there's bad news sometimes on the other end. Turn on the television, there's bad news. Open the newspaper, if that's what you still read, and you see there's bad news. I want to tell you something. Bad news everywhere, but when Jesus came, it was good news. That's why the Gospels is a word that literally means good news. Because at the time when everything was going wrong for the Israelites under the oppression of Roman rule, all of the things that were happening, no message from God for 400 years. And yet when Jesus came, what was it? It was good news. Good news. It's peace. And I say to you today that not only was it good news and peace to those shepherds, but it is good news and peace to all those that are here today that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Could I ask you, have you placed your faith in the sinless Son of God, the Savior of the world? Or let me ask it another way. What are you trusting in to have your sins forgiven? What are you placing your faith in in order to go to heaven? You say, well, preacher, that's that's an obvious answer. I mean, I'm here at church today. Doesn't that count for anything? The answer is no. You say, why am I here? Because we want to worship God. We don't do anything. There's nothing we can do to earn favor with God. If there was one little thing that we could do, the question has to be asked, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why would God allow His dear Son to go through the cruel punishment on the cross of Calvary and to die a sinner's death if there is one thing you or I could do to gain eternal life. The issue of the matter is this. You and I can do nothing. I cannot get one step closer to heaven by how I live. I cannot attain any merit before God. I cannot earn anything. And God said, well, you know, I know you've messed up over here, but you've done a few good things here. Let me let you into heaven. No, I'm going to tell you something. No sin and no sinner will be allowed into heaven. But Jesus died on the cross to give us eternal life. And if you would place your faith in Him and in Him alone, you can be assured of eternal life. You know, I'm quite sure that there's some of you here today that came and said, well, I'm going to try church out today. I'll hear some little fuzzy little message today about Christmas. I want to tell you something. The greatest message that can be shared is the message that the shepherds heard that day. That there's good tidings, good will, good news. That there's peace. And it's all through a person, Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Him today, tell others. I'll bet there's some of you here today that have family members and friends that are coming to your house to celebrate. And there's an opportunity for you to tell abroad of what Jesus has done for you. I want to remind you here today that if you're without Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're uncertain of where you'll spend eternity that today could be the very day that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, please, and close our eyes. I'm going to close in prayer. And then I'd like to ask just a 
couple simple questions here with you here today. Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to share about these shepherds. Thank you that you took time to speak to lowly shepherds because that gives hope to me that you'll share your word with me and with others. But Lord, I'm most concerned here today about the spiritual condition of every person. May it be that every person here today would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ, God's holy Son, is their personal Savior. Right now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed here today, I just want to ask a simple question. How many would say today, Preacher, I know Jesus is my Savior. I remember a time when I prayed and I asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins. And I know that if I died today, I would go to heaven. Would you just slip your hand up just briefly for a moment? Thank you. God bless you. You may put your hand down. It's possible here today that you could not raise your hand because you do not know Jesus as your Savior. Could I say that the good news for you today is that you can, before you walk out of this room, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus can be your Savior. If you'd like to pray and receive Christ as your Savior, you could do it right now. You say, preacher, right in my seat. Absolutely. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confessing with the mouth is simply just saying, to the Lord that you're a sinner and letting Him know that you know you cannot save yourself and personally placing your faith in Jesus Christ and acknowledging that He's the only way to heaven. But it's not just mouthing any words. It's not just repeating some little prayer and just saying it just for the sake of saying it, but it has to be something you do with the heart. And that's why God says, if you believe with your heart... So if you're here today and you'd like to pray and ask the Lord to be your Savior and you believe this with all your heart, you're not just going to repeat some words after a preacher, but you really mean this with all your heart, I'd like to invite you right now to pray and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of all your sins and become your personal Savior. Here's the prayer. As I pray it publicly, just phrase by phrase, You, if you need to be saved today, why don't you repeat this to yourself, saying it unto God, meaning it with all your heart. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that my sin will cause me to be separated from God forever. But I believe you loved me. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth. To be born in a manger. To live a perfect life. To die on the cross of Calvary. In order to wash my sins away. And right now, I'm asking Jesus Christ, God's holy son. To forgive me of all my sins and become my personal Savior.